Welcome everyone to the Serious Leisure podcast. My name is Petya Petrova. I'm your host for today's podcast. I'm joined by our regular podcast contributors, Dr. Sam Elkington and Kat Branch. Sam is from Teesside University. He's our Serious Leisure expert. Welcome, Sam. Thanks, Petya. Great to be here as always. Great to have you, Sam. Kat leads the University of the West of England Centre for Music. Welcome, Kat. Hi, Petya. Great to see you. Great to see you two on this uh, somewhat windy day. We often refer to the University of the West of England as UE. In this podcast, we share stories about our leisure pursuits, our passions, our hobbies and interests. We reflect on our attempts to successfully or not so successfully balance work and leisure time. And we draw on insights from the serious leisure perspective and the vast literature on it. We're very excited to welcome today our two guests. Louise Mao is a colleague of mine at the Academic Practice Directorate here at UOE. She's Senior Administrator and Office Manager. Welcome, Louise. Hi, Petia. Hi. Louise is joined by Dr. Arthur Turner. Arthur works as a Senior Lecturer in the Organizational Studies Cluster at the Faculty of Business and Law. Welcome, Arthur. Thanks very much. Hi, Arthur. Before we delve into Arthur and Louise's serious leisure pursuits, let us find out a little about your professional roles. Can you please introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell us something about your role and what it involves? Let's start with Louise. Louise, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at the Academic Practice Directorate? Hello, thank you, Patia. As you've already um, said, I work within the Academic Practice Directorate um, at UWE, um, and I'm part of the team um, primarily working on the administration and design of um, UWE's Festival of Learning. I have also recently taken on the senior administrator and office manager role as part of a job share, whilst um, one of our colleagues is on secondment. Um, this has increased my involvement in the administration of the Introduction to Teaching and Learning and Programme Leader Module Leader Workshops um, with Petia. Um, and what's brought me here today is my passion for creating a positive environment for bees and other insects um, using the outdoor space available to us. Thanks, Louise. And as with all other guests, there's so much more to talk about what Louise does, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, Arthur, can you tell us about your day job, please? Yeah, delighted to. Um, I am a senior lecturer in the um, organisational studies cluster, and I specialise in coaching and mentoring, the vocational qualifications that uh, from ILM. And I also do a little bit of lecturing around creativity and learning, sort of adult learning and art and things like that. Um, and that's usually how I spend my time. Thanks, Arthur. We can spend hours talking about Arthur's work around creativity and learning, but we are not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about your stories about engaging with nature. I'm really excited about this conversation today because your stories are so uniquely different in some ways and yet so similar. So let's start with what it is that your hobby is, where it started, and where we currently find you. Louise, can you tell us about your story? Thank you, yes, of course. It's um, It's been quite a gradual story, really. I've, I've always had an interest in 
wildlife and the um the world around us and where we live in this within part of that and um, my my mum's always been um, interested in horticulture um, my dad was always really interested in um the outside and, and being in the garden and um i've finally i finally um got access to a garden myself within the last few years and i've had two young boys and I've just wanted to create a positive environment for bees and other insects and actually just enjoy the outdoor space and the outdoor environment environment that you have whether it be a window box a balcony or um, as we've recently been able to um, get to get to know our garden and develop that. Um, It's also um, nice to be able to um, try and inspire an interest for our two young children about gardening and getting involved in within nature um, and being able for them to feel that they can have a positive impact however small it is with something just outside their door so we work together we make bug hotels they're planting bulbs and plants and we're really we're really trying to um get them to feel connected with the world around them whether it be um different creatures that are outside spiders um wood lice and knowing that every single one is important and how they can help their the ecosystems outside thrive um and then it was my son over lockdown and realized how happy and relaxed I was in the garden and decide and said you know if you're really happy and relaxed outside gardening then um why don't you do it as a job and I was just explained to him that I've you know that's I love that aspect to be brought into my working life but I do have a job that I enjoy um and I and, and he just said we'll just go out and you know just go out and just make a change if you want to have a change so um he inspired me um and I just drew up some flyers and um been lucky enough to be invited now into other people's gardens to talk about um their green spaces and what they can do to positively impact their own green spaces so that we can try and support the bees and insects around us thanks louise so we are starting with a discussion about the young family and now we are moving to arthur's story around his engagement with nature where it started how it went and where it's currently going arthur yeah, thank you. Uh, just funny listening to Louise and um, remembering my own uh, dad was um, very much a, a kind of a countryman and um, used to take me along the river and and he would uh, he was able to describe to me the the flowers and what they were called. So I think that's probably where it comes from uh, my interest in nature. Um, when my mother died about ten years ago. She left me a little bit of money and I extravagantly bought a camera and um, for no particular reason other than the ones I had weren't very good. Um, And I started to wander around my garden and um, started to take photos. And in those days, sounds ages ago, but in those days you send off your film uh, to be processed. And so it was often a a bit of a wait. And um, when they came back, I would say, well, I didn't didn't know I took that. I didn't didn't recognize that thing. I thought it was a bee. Oh, it's no, it's a hoverfly or it's some other unidentified insect. Um, and it led me to be not obsessionally, of course, but but when spring came and summer came, I would wander around the garden, not gardening, but but looking at the insects. And um, I, I did become very interested in hoverflies and discovered through um, a, a big textbook that I bought um, that there were hundreds of species of hoverflies, all different colours and different behaviours. Well, this is good. And then on a BBC programme, I heard about solitary bees. 
um, uh, which gave right to the, the joke that I, I didn't know they were alone. But, you know, I, I suddenly realized there were hundreds of species of, of bees as well. And that led me to um, a place where I started to see them better. They were, I think they were always there, but I suddenly started to see these creatures buzzing around my garden. And I started to plant things that might attract them a bit more easily, which has led me um, uh, to uh, an association, I guess, with a, a bit of wild land in, in the city of Newport, um, which has been long neglected by humans, which is probably a good thing, and to start thinking about restoring it because it's had um, uh, years of um, invasive plants. So these invasive plants are on the retreat through council spraying and, and what have you, because they have to do legally. And it's exposed a broad swathe of land that has a huge population. We did a survey in the first six months last year and found 320 species of insects. Now, this was a place that was supposed to be you know, abandoned and like rubbish ground. And it really uh, made me interested in the whole thing about solitary bees, plus the ecology of the area, uh, the area in which I live. Thanks, Arthur. So thank you both for giving us an overview of what we're talking about. I would start firstly with a question about neighbours. <laughs> because I think, Louise, you talked about um, your your engagement with nature started with the family and the boys in your garden, and then suddenly it expanded outwards into other people's gardens. Can you just tell us a little bit about that, please? Yes, of course. It was. Um, it's a really. Um, it was quite a, a daunting thing to start with, really. Um, not necessarily about you know the neighbours I was going to see, but the, the concept of actually stepping outside of your own um, sort of comfort zone and you your own comfort zone and your sort of your own area and actually stepping into somebody else's um, comfort zone and their space and um, being able to get to know uh, like my neighbours on a different level rather just a bit sort of um, a bit more involved than obviously saying good morning every day actually going over to speak to them about what their interests are and how they like to be within their own space and what they would like to get out of it whether it's just help with the maintenance because it's aspects of um, some of the work that they can no longer do now which is sad which was in some instances I found it was quite hard for them to have me there um, because there are some times it was for me helping with the maintenance and also it was helping to um, look at their pots and plants and planters and just see what we can do together following their lead as to how they would like to transform their garden and for me to try and help bring their image of what they would like to life but also talking about um, the different subtle ways that we can help encourage you know the insects and the, the bees and um, it was about not using pesticide. It was like it's sim simple sort of subtle changes that could be used um, within their gardens and just getting to know who they were and who they are um, and respecting the fact that each person's own space is really important to them and, um, and be mindful that you don't want to come in and take over because they also wanted, they also would like, and the same way I would like, is to still be actively involved within that space. You don't want that interaction to be taken away because it's therapeutic in itself. It's important to actually physically be connected with your environment. Um, so it's just a case of going out and visit, um, being invited into um, neighbours' homes and helping see where I can support and guide where necessary, where that was wanted. 
it really has helped me feel even more connected to the area that I'm living in. And it's made me feel more connected to um, those that are around me. Louise, I'm really struck by your social tenacity in doing that. You know, within British culture, to kind of fly your neighbours and say, hey, <laughs> shall I come around to your garden? I mean, this is very impressive. We're not living in Spain here. Um, I, um, I wonder, did you feel like you needed to have a certain level of knowledge about what you were doing? Or did you just kind of courageously get out there and go, well, I'm finding my way shall I come and find my way in your garden? I'm just so interested in um, where you got that impetus and that bravery. Yeah, it was basically thinking the flowers have survived in my garden for a number of years and I've been able to see them grow. We live in the same area, so maybe in terms of the weather and climate, you've got to think about the different types of soil and everything. But I thought, well, it can't be too drastically different from my own. And it was a case of trusting that something was working positively for me and there is no reason why on a very basic level here <laughs> um, it could work for somebody else and I I just had to have that belief that not everybody needs an expert to come in for to have someone that can come and just talk through your your needs and and, and, and wants for your garden and your space and to help work together in those areas really um, and support and um, it's 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 worked really nicely um a lot of it though my it was my son who did actually say come on mum you can change you can you can make a change and I'm was hoping I was using this as an example of the fact that I can stand up I can put some flyers together and I can respectively British in a way saying you know just knocking on the door and putting the flyer through I didn't go any further than that and then waited for um for those that were interested and um to call um and that was really nice but I did hand deliver the flyers going around so those that I did speak to it was nice to have that one on that sort of like one-on-one conversation and and a get to know really is like hello I'm hopefully your friendly neighborly gardener um who can come over and um and and, and support in areas that you, you may feel that you need and I just came with my own sort of ethos really Love it. I love it. I love that you didn't feel like you had to be, you know, world's best gardener before you made this endeavour. And I feel sure that from what you described, even that kind of uh, that that philosophy of not everyone needs an expert would have made those conversations so much easier. Uh, the way you're describing them, I'm just imagining this really kind of nice neighbourly interaction where that community is kind of building and you just live there and they live there and you know rather than you're swooping in with your extraordinary expertise to fix their gardening woes you know there's a really nice kind of peer type aspect to it um yeah thank you though I mean to be to be um to be fair there was I have been gifted um a few books along the way um and I have done um enough sort of it was not necessarily research to actually start this new endeavor it was actually research for for myself and um um, my family to actually get to know the space that we've got so um, I was I have spent quite a few years reading up looking at, at different plants looking at the the way certain soil interacts with different planting and different times of the year to plant certain bulbs and which ones are, are safe to have even with children and pets and it, it was all of that in all of um, the sort of the book work I was using to actually get to know my own personal space um, and because I saw those 
those aspects really develop um, and start working, I was able to actually be a bit more confident knowing that I potentially have something I can share. Um, but I also am very, very careful. I don't, I'm very careful with what I say. And I will always go around identifying plants with different apps in gardens to make sure that um, I'm very respectful and very careful that when I'm reaching out of something that I've read and researched, then I actually will take that away, do some research, come back and we'll have further conversations about it. Brilliant, Louise. Thank you for describing that interesting process. I wonder, Arthur, could you tell us a bit about what your whole journey from zero to whatever your knowledge is now uh, and maybe also uh, about as well as alongside your research experience and how you've gone about that um i'd be interested to hear also about the social dynamics in comparison with louise's journey could you fill us in no it's okay i'm here um i, I think that the the interesting thing is um well hopefully it's interesting that that i studied uh, botany when i was younger and um in a way i already had a, a kind of core knowledge borrowed from my my father in particular um, and it's only recently when I realized that uh, some of the things you don't obviously see so it's easy to know about birds and trees because they're big often and they're in front of you but bees and insects are, are much more difficult I mean they don't they don't hang around often um, uh, they buzz off to as it were you know and um, so the, the the camera plus the the photos Plus, of course, then my mobile phone, which gave me a chance to um, identify, but also enlarge the photographs I was taking, they enabled me to build, begin to build up a kind of bank of knowledge around, um, initially it was what they were called in common terms. More recently, it's, it's I've, I've even learned some of the Latin names to try and be a bit more scientific. I know, ooh la la, um, to be a bit more scientific about it. And... Um, I've noticed that's interesting that the, my link to other people. So the, uh, I, I really recognise what um, Louis said. You know, that what I started to do was um, kind of bump into people, and, and there was <laughs> it really started with me um, almost invading someone's garden. And this was a neighbour I didn't know, um, and um, his reaction was quite odd in, in some ways because he came out with his wife and said, in that tone of voice, "What are you doing?" And I wasn't actually in the garden. I mean, I made an excuse that I was only leaning into his garden, so it was kind of all right. Uh, but, but but within a, a, you know five or ten minutes, he was telling me how much he really liked moths and how, how the moths of the local area gathered on his um, his wall uh, in the morning, and he had thousands of photos. But he said that he'd never spoken to anybody other than his wife about that, and it struck me as being how kind of uh, ignorant I guess you can be when you you view yourself just as a person living in society it didn't really matter who your neighbors were so it so uh, in a way it, it really expanded my knowledge of who was who and, and what they were interested in by having a conversation about I was uh, and so he said oh so do you know some of the, about these bees then and I said well I know a little bit and um, although we we don't meet much and COVID and other things have prevented lots of face-to-face -face meetings the magic of um, the digital world means that um, he takes a photo and sends me it and says what do you think this is so we're building our knowledge together and this is not just one person that's about three or four people within about in old terms 100 yards 100 meters or so of my house now these are people i didn't even send a christmas card to um, 
and so that that society and my understanding and i think um one of the things i i reflected on was the kind of the ecology of the bees so that they weren't actually solitary bees in, in many ways they were connected to all sorts of things flowers and other insects replicated what i was endeavoring to find out about the ecology of the community you know the links between people and who knew who and what they were like and and so on which i well i mean it was a journey that i hadn't predicted that i would take so um that that was really interesting the kind of echoes that i got and the final echo I got, which was, again, took me back to someone I used to know 50 years ago who used to send me a Christmas card every, every year. That's what you've got, a Christmas card. And, um, but she was an artist, and she started to use um, her own paintings for the Christmas card. And I hadn't really spoken to her for 50 years other than the Christmas card. And she sent me a nice card with a song thrush on the cover with a little bee next to it, just as an adornment to the picture. And so I did have a phone number. I phoned her up. And it was amazing how much she knew about what I didn't know. You know, so she, she knew about bees and she knew about gardens. And her garden is fantastic. And since that time, so it's about two years, I've also been in contact. I, almost every day we, we speak or something like that. And that increases. So, so it's not just now. It's not just my neighbours now. It's other people who'd been neighbourly even 50 years ago. Thanks, Arthur. Um, Louise, you want to come in here? Well, I just wanted to um, just say, I just find it, it wonderful how you can, uh, yourself and also um, anyone who takes an interest in something outside your day-to-day your, -day, um, routines, and you're just looking, you're finding a fascination with a particular insect or um, it or could be anything. Um, and that interest develops and the connections, it's like the link between sort of the connection between the natural world, which is extensive. And it's some to such extent that there's much of it we still don't really understand or know. But using those connections to naturally just evolve your community interactions, um, interactions and um, in conversations with friends over the years. It's just I just think it's wonderful. There's so much extra life out there um, and interactions and enjoyment and conversations that can develop through um, something so simple and natural and beautiful as a bee um, on, a, on, a, on a Christmas card and suddenly you, um, you're able to foster more conversations and it just feels very much like that with, um, I, I noticed something very similar when I've started getting a bit more involved um, I'm suddenly finding more interest with people um, I didn't really share that information with before. And it um, brings a lot of extra positivity, I suppose. <laughs> uh, thanks, Louise. Um, Arthur? Yes. Um, it, it struck me that one of the things that, that I reflected on just as you were talking was the what, what I do <clears throat> in my day job, as it were. Um, there are two, two really, uh, and they're two philosophical things really about the, the teaching of, of coaching, particularly around leadership. I mean, one was, one's about sort of human agency and the, the skills of coaching are, are there really primarily to give people license to know what they want to do and find ways of doing it rather than being told. And there's the other thing that I really like, and I've, I've spent um, quite a few years trying to pronounce this, uh, the, the philosophy of phenomenology. I think I did it quite well then. 
Um, um, Heidegger's work in the 1930s and things, where he talked about, and other disciples of his, um, talked about the kind of emergence. And one thing is I notice it's not black and white, you know, the, the, the whole process of, the, of getting into nature, being with um, identifying bees, noticing bee parasites, all sorts of things like that. I can't do that in this moment. That it has to emerge through, and, and it merges more quickly because I'm now connected to um, a, an older neighbour who's a fungal expert. I had no idea about that. Another younger guy who's an ecologist. I had no idea about that either. And so we're now having conversations that we're, where we're beginning to fill each other's gaps in, which I think is also a, a very interesting, like a mosaic, whereas uh, um, we all have fragmented knowledge. And, and in the community, therefore, we're almost painting a picture, filling it in somehow, making it more colourful, making, making it more visible, I guess, rather than seeing it just as a solitary bee on a solitary daisy. Where do I start is my, is my question. There's some, and in actual fact, you two can just crack on because uh, you're playing off each other really, really nicely here in terms of that shared experience. But, uh, but in, in terms of you know, this whole idea of serious leisure, and you obviously are very serious about, about this. And I love, the, <laughs> I love the fact that Arthur's gone down the phenomenology route. Don't get me started on that. But the, the idea of emergence, I think, is something I'd actually written down. You know, this whole idea of, um, you know, actually, my, my thought process went to emergent motivation in the sense that, you know, you, you always start something you end up being quite committed to by just trying it out or exploring and doing little bits and pieces. And you, in the doing of that, you find more and more connection or more interest and, and it grows from there. So that emergent, and you can hear it in both of your stories. Actually, you, you know, you both mentioned the idea of journey and, you, and you're on a journey of exploration and all of those kind of things. But from a serious leisure perspective, I guess, you know, there's certainly, you know, the hobbyist or hobbyists in you is fairly obvious and stark in terms of how you're talking, but this whole idea of nature appreciation. Um, and there's a couple of different permutations of uh, kind of hobbyist nature, but certainly nature appreciation is the one I think fits most um, authentically to, to, to your stories. You know, this idea of connection with the natural world, the beauty of the natural world, appreciation of that flora and fauna, all of these things. Um, and actually, a question I was going to ask, but you've kind of already answered it, both of you together, is is the social aspect of it, you know? And it's, it's and you, I'm, just as a caveat, my my parents are avid, seriously avid gardeners, uh, and are quite protective over their space. They have a lovely garden, cottage garden down in Leicestershire, um, and are pretty much self sufficient. You know, they've got a garden, a cottage garden, and then they have. Um, an allotment essentially at the bottom of the garden and it's it's what they love to do they're both retired and you know they're very you know they have their their time evolves around the jobs they have to do in the garden you know and i think that's but they've only started to recently opening up to the village garden show now uh, we haven't got time to go into it but there's a whole story about this but it really chimes with um with louise what you were saying about um the connection and actually, Arthur, it comes to what you're saying as well. The connections that we have through our our natural spaces, you know, it's, if when you think about it and you take everything else out of it, it's the only thing that connects us. Um, and it's you know what I'm hearing in what both of you are saying 
is, you know, it's about paying attention to those spaces. Um, you know, and you wrote, you've actually used the word space and place interchangeably, which I love as well, because, you know, place is space imbued with meaning. And I think that's the, that's certainly coming through here. But how much of this is about being in the space and how much of it is about, because um, also what I'm hearing is there's a lot of learning going on. Yeah, there's a learning, in, you know, intrinsic to what you guys are talking about here. You can hear it. The, I love the idea of mosaic of knowledge. Yeah, it's exactly, it's what we do. But it's through the social context and so, social context, you're building that mosaic. It wouldn't happen other, or, otherwise. And the common denominator is natural space. So I, I wondered if you could comment. Yes, Arthur, if you could comment. As part of this um, extended almost a job <laughs> I don't think it's quite a job um, this this piece of land that's behind the army barracks um, which uh, over overviews the city center um, uh, the ecologist friend and I uh, we decided to make a little group so we call ourselves um, the nature restoration group and it was partly to be because the council said, that we weren't prepared to give you insurance to, for us to work on it. So we we'd had contact with the council, we made this group and um, we used the Welsh the Welsh name, Atump, which means land with lots of vegetation in. Often Welsh is um, longer words, much longer words, but this time Atump means, means that. And so my friend and I, who's an ecology, he said, I know a bit about land restoration. And I bought a book and, and, and looked it up. And we now go over a couple of times a week with our rakes and our uh, secateurs and things like that to begin the process of restoring nature. So part of it is removing um, alien species like Japanese knotweed and the dead stems. Partly it's to do with sycamore trees. And if you know about sycamore trees, they're not native and they are very um, invasive themselves. And so we removed about... 150 saplings of sycamore that were sprouting in the area and just that act of uh working with this guy who i who i didn't know who's 30 20 years younger than me um so it's a nice little intergenerational um contact um but the the land is is backs onto the huge sort of 15 foot wall of the barracks and there's a path that's Regularly used, but not very often used, a sort of windy, muddy path where dog walkers come. And one of the things that seems to happen while we're in that space, people often come over with their dogs and say, oh, hi, you know, how, how are you doing? And we've met four or five people who are very interested in what we're doing. Some of them got history. So some of them say, oh, yeah, there used to be rabbits here. Or did you see the Sparrowhawk last week? Uh, so they're giving us information sort of uh, like um, scouts at, um, uh, some people are sort of vaguely interested. I'm pleased something, somebody's doing something with this rubbish land. We've had a few comments like that. Um, and getting to know people in the local area is, is about noticing the difference between those individuals. So there's a really strong feeling for not who, who should I meet? And you mentioned sort of like um, earlier, Sam, about sort of, you know, middle-class people live in middle-class areas, they meet middle-class people. But, but these are often people who are, are there's a, a guy, I'm sure he's a poacher. I'm absolutely sure about that. But he, he's got really a core bit of country knowledge. Uh, there's someone else who's really good and patient with photography who comes and just shows us stuff. I took a picture of this the other day. Are you interested in this? Um, 
did I mean, and some of it's quite funny as well. You know, the um, uh, one guy's got a huge dog that he constantly says he's safe. And now there's no mate, no, no, it's fine. The dog will be fine. And if he likes you, it's fine. If he doesn't like you, well, I, I know I'll, I'll, I'll pull him off, as it were. And this dog, I was talking to this guy about the the um, uh, the jackdaws that live. There's a huge colony of jackdaws that live on this land or around this land. And the dog, which must have been, it's a Rottweiler, so it's massive, sat on my foot and just leaned into it. He said, oh, he likes you, mate. So that's all right. So there's also these, these sort of um, not, um, what are they? Just ordinary human connection with other, another human being that's funny. Yes, uh, Sam. I love that. I love, yeah, just, just the serendipity of that as well you know it's, it's still something very natural about it you know just getting everything else out out the way and actually it's just about human contact really um but there's something you said and i don't know whether it's quite as profound as i'm making it out to be which is very often the case but uh you mentioned the word noticing and i think in this context as we're talking and i hear it in what louise is saying and louise you can come in in a minute and i don't know if it's, you're going to be able to kind of build on this I hear it in what you're saying, Arthur, in terms of noticing, no, noticing not just in natural space, but actually when you're in that space, noticing others as well. So actually there's something about being in nature, which I don't know whether it lowers barriers or gives us a wider lens or just opens us up, but there's something about no, being able to notice more about the world around us whilst we're in nature, I think, in through what you're saying. But actually, Louise, I just wanted to pick up as well in what you were saying. It's actually your son who noticed that you're, you know, you you had reacted this way to being in nature. So I, I I wonder, you know, how much of it is about that? You know, just 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 noticing. Just obviously it links out to mindfulness, and this has all been talked about before. But Louise, what what do you think? Thanks, Sam. Yes, I think um, it's predominantly what my I think my son would have noticed is the how grounded I feel being outside and in the garden, and calmer. I know you, you referenced like mindfulness as well. I think the whole in the whole um, experience of being outside and being connected to nature and having a positive impact on different things, whether it be the, the plants you planted are growing, that you've been trying to um, encourage different species into your garden and you've seen one for the first time. It's that feeling that you, you are actually having, you're positively contributing to the world around you. And it, for me, it is, it's a sense of peace and grounding. Um, and I need a lot of that. <laughs> I do. I do. I need a lot of that feeling. I need to I need to just step away from the busy day to day. And and gardening and being outside really gives me that 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 sense of peace. Um, and I, I that must come across in leaps and bounds to my children, um, my husband and, and those around me, knowing that, you know, you know, mum's just very content outside <laughs> um and I and I just that's part of the reason why I really wanted to um support the boys in that um try and sort of encourage an interest everyone's different and everyone has their own ways and likes of, of, of what it is that they would like to do and what they, they find enjoyable but to actually just sort of put them in an environment where they can see the, these positive things happening um it's been it was wonderful. They've planted most of the plants in the garden. They've they noticed they're noticing all the different kinds of spiders we have, um, and it's just they're stepping out of their busy day to day, day life, which is increasingly intense for young children, um, and they're slowing down and they're becoming sort. They get into the 
the natural pace of the garden, which is an awful lot slower than the day to day, they react positively to that. Um, and as Arthur mentioned as well, and, and Sam about noticing um, people, once I think when you have slowed down and you're just calmer and you're relaxing and you're enjoying what you're doing and you're connecting with it, I think you, your mind does open up. You're not as shut and focused on what you have to do next and when you have to do it. You've slowed down enough to have that time to lift your head up and look around and have different conversations with people. Um, and I have found, and I've always believed this, but I've I found it increasingly with what I've been doing recently with the work with um, gardens, is that every, it feels like every positive interaction you can have within your community or with anybody in any way that is, can enhance that other person's day in a positive way. Um, and I think that comes, that really shines when you're outside and you're getting involved in nature, whether it's, especially with yourself, Arthur, you're not only getting involved in your own garden and your own space, you're actually transforming an area that everybody within your community is going to benefit from, whether they know it's there or not. You're really supporting and enhancing those around you. And I think it's um it's it's fabulous what you're doing. I, I'm not sure I, I would call it fabulous yet, but 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 thank you for that. I'm mean, I'd, I'd, two two things really that that struck me about this looking up uh, business. Um, it is too easy to to particularly at the moment, to focus just on your laptop as, as the way you live your life. I mean, two things happened, really, is firstly, because it's on a southern slope um, and it's facing east, I get the sunrise. Now, um, I'd never really, I, I like I like skies, of course, you know, most people like skies. But noticing that if we were, we were often too preoccupied to, to go home. So we often got the sort of sunset or we'd, we'd hurry and say, well, before work, we could do an hour, hour or so. And looking up the skies, the skies are fantastic. And I've, I've got now slightly obsessed by taking pictures of, of lovely um, cherry and apricot skies in the morning. Um, the, the other thing that happened, and like, uh, I think, Petty, you said you had a, a, a singing teacher. So, was, um, so have I. And um, uh, I started to talk to her about it. And she was saying, well, why don't you do a soundscape of where you're working? Thinking, well, I can't do that. I, you know, that's crazy. I'm nearly 70. I can't, you know, I can't begin to do that. But there's a now a little project around um, um, beginning to express the place that I like, the place I'm working in, as a kind of a cameo bit of music, you know, like a three or four minute um, I don't know what you'd call it, soundscape, I suppose is what I'm, I'm beginning to call it, because it ties in quite nicely with, with the idea, and I've been inspired a bit by Robert McFarlane's book about lost words, and thinking about, because one of the things that I did to try and capture some of this was write, and this is what I get people doing their coaching training doing, is to write haiku poetry, to just capture a moment, kind of a key moment in their lives or the key moment in their work as a coach, before it disappears, you know, kind of the, and so I've got a series of, I haven't got many, I've got about eight or nine from this year where I've just come home and I just, either in my phone or on a piece of paper, scribbled a haiku. And then I thought, and my singing teacher said, well, you could read out the um, haiku poems with your own composed background kind of song, incantation. Thinking, what? Who, you're talking to me, I can't do that, it's impossible. 
Um, but but I think it, I'm now beginning to think that those things I thought were, I mean, almost lost to me because you know I'm getting older and things, and I, when I get a chance to it, and now I'm thinking, oh, I could, yeah, yes, I could, I could compose a song. Thanks, Arthur. Kat was very excited starting this podcast, but now she <laughs> she's beyond herself. <laughs> There's a, a lot of um, facial expressions come from from her little square of her looking very excited at, at the kind of link to, of creativity, kind of led now on top of or around uh, your your interests. That uh, that's quite quite um, interesting. I'll talk to um, about my singing lessons to our listeners some other time, <laughs> um, and and what that involves. But I was struck around the, the little haikus because um, I've, I've, I'm starting to trying to get into this routine where I, I write two or three lines of not full sentences, not really poetry, but just something that captures the mood of the day. So a form of diary, but an emotional diary as opposed to a diary of these are the things that happens. And it, it, it takes me maybe a minute to write. I'm not overthinking it. I'm just kind of putting a few words on, on a piece of paper. Um, and that's, I'm trying to do more and more often every night as kind of part of my mindfulness practice. And, and it really struck me around you capturing your emotions, which hopefully are much more positive on a daily basis, given what we're talking about, as opposed to my end of day um, moans to myself about life in the universe. But I just think it's so exciting that you're layering your interests, you're layering that connection with others, impact on others, connection with nature, connection with your environment, and impacting on the environment. And the same with Louise, where she's layering her connection with her family and her children, connection with her neighbors, impacting on the lives of her family and family environment, and, and impacting on the lives of the neighbors and the neighboring environment. And I think that's just such a wonderful example about how with a little start somewhere, introducing something new to our lives, that can grow into something unexpected and something beautiful. Sam? Sorry, if I don't say this, it's going to go and I'm going to think about something completely irrelevant. So I need to say it now. Uh, I think the connection is obviously there. Absolutely. It's rich. It's wonderful. It's, it's all, of, all, of, uh, all of the things we're describing. But I think it's a bit more than that in, in both cases here. I think there's, it, for me, I'm thinking in terms of kind of just weaving things together, something a bit more natural kind of a more natural kind of analogy, if you like. And I'm reminded of, um, I'm sorry to be the academic <laughs> here, you know, I don't want to, it's absolutely boring compared to what we're, what we're, we're hearing here. But there's an anthropologist called Tim Ingold. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Tim Ingold's work. And he talks about, he talks about the importance of knots and how actually knots uh, are for him a way of describing, you know, connect, connection, density of connection, the importance and meaningfulness that we create around certain points of connection um so and, 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 and i usually I'm, can't get it out of my head as you're talking both of you about you know what you're actually doing is weaving these knots of connection and you know it's a shared kind of altruistic endeavor for both of you um you know it's not just about oh it makes me feel good and therefore i'm going to keep doing it actually in the act of gardening or the act of nature natural appreciation you're weaving these knots of meaning and, and, and connection that are actually having an effect on other people. 
So it's actually, you know, I, I just, I, I, I can just see it as you're describing it. And, and for me, it's connection, yes, but actually it's more about what the knots represent. You know, so those, all those, all those um, conversations, Arthur, that you've had or you've reached out to people that you have a connection with even th- via a Christmas card, uh, but you've reached out and you've had a conversation. It's become a more meaningful relationship through that. And the connection is nature. And I just wanted to make that observation. It's something that I, you know, in my head, I was starting to see, that, you know, it's a weaving of connection as opposed to just connecting with through space. So that I'm going to shut up. Thanks, Sam. You don't need to shut up. It was a really interesting point. And Arthur was uh, nodding at you, uh, reference to yet, yet another piece of academic uh, writing. I just want to attend slightly to a small logistical point, but the point I find really intriguing. And that is that when we talk to you about your stories, they all bloomed, pun intended, as COVID was starting. And we often talk about COVID being difficult <laughs> to, 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 to really understate what we've all experienced and um, the trauma and suffering that, that many of our listeners may have, uh, have gone th- through in the last couple of years. But for you, COVID, COVID provided an opening. There was an opening through the push of a kind of neighbors and, and friends and children, but there was an opening that COVID provided in the kind of stopping that we all had to experience, particularly around the first uh, lockdown. And I really want to unpack that a little bit. Louise, can we start with you, please? Yeah, thanks, Petia. Um, it, I think with, um, with the lockdowns, obviously, it, it completely um, altered your, your day stay and your being and your, your perspective on um, what was important and, um, and what you'd actually like to do with the, I suppose, the the time, I, I don't really want to say gift of time, because I don't think that's quite appropriate, but it was the, the fact that as a unit, we stopped, we totally slowed down and we stopped. We um, we were um, in a position, we were, we were we were in a fortunate position where we could work from, from home mostly, um, and the, the boys were at home and we, slow, we slowed down. And within that slowing down, the pace of life changed. And we were able to spend more time with each other and noticing each other um, in, a, in, a, in a, a much more sort of positive and broader way. And, and having, the, out, having the, um, the ability to be able to step out into our garden, um, which I, I, I know um, we were very fortunate to be able to do, we had to step out into the garden. And it was, we were for the first time able to, go out each morning and see how much a bulb had grown. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was talking to my, um, I was talking to my husband, the boys, and I'd be going out and I'd be looking at the garden thinking, goodness, we've had rain, we've had sun, you know, I should be seeing them by now. I planted them two months ago. Where are they? And each, I wasn't, I was noticing the tiny changes over um, a very long period of time, a longer period of time than I normally would have spent focusing on it and it was extraordinary the changes within that time and actually noticing um how the environment changes over that over that year and it's, it's slightly different now also back to work but I'm still noticing these things but in less consistent points um yeah effectively it's just um it has shifted the focus um and the 
given us the opportunity to ignite an interest and actually feel that you've you need to um, prioritize little snippets of life that make you feel better as a person and contribute per- positively to your life and of those around you and those around you um, and that's what the the garden has, has, has done for us and also our walk down to the local um our, lo- our local sort of like park and nature reserve bit we've got down by the um end of our house that was our one walk a day um and the, the boys loved it and they were noticing different animals and you know creatures and it was they were suddenly um they're tiny little bit of the world started opening up for them and it's something that we've tried to keep going forward rather than revert entirely back to how we were um prior to um the start of covid thanks louise just so that to help our audience imagine things because i'm listening to you and it sounds like you have this magical garden that is kind of expansive and, and that you spend a lot of time t- time in. Can, we, can you just give our audience a context about the size of your garden, please? Yeah, absolutely. I live in a, um, a tiny, um, old, um, two up, two down terrace, old coal mining, coal mining terrace in Bristol. And um, it's, it's lovely. I love it. It's our little, our little bolt hole. Um, and we've got a very small um, garden out the back. Um, we're very lucky it's south facing so we are very very lucky with that but it's a little square of lawn effectively which I dug borders in um, and my husband knows this now because I did um, let him know what I was doing each year and um, when we first moved in it was we had to completely change it there was no um, there was no lawn it was just sort of bark everywhere um, so we got rid of all of that put the a lawn down and I had to negotiate the borders and I was trying to explain to to Scott I said I've, I've wasted my whole life to be able to have a, a space that I can actually grow some plants so um, I do need some borders because my husband was um completely um validly trying to um get as much space for the boys to play as possible um so they started off with a foot and each year I've I've dug them each year they've gone about sort of like a few inches in so now I, <laughs> so by stealth so I've got these uh, slightly yeah, slightly bigger borders now which I can develop and and actually have some depth to but I mean we're talking in about half a half a meter I'd say so and a, a small bit of grass um, and lots of pots and a little bit of a, a terrace above a garage that is also full of full of pots and it's where we grow all of our we grow all of our veg over over lockdown so I've got a tiny little space but we just try and do um the best we can with it and introduce window boxes to the front of the house which um, I'm very proud to say it was the first on our street actually because when I first put them out all of our neighbours were saying they're going to get stolen and I well I said well I hope not but if they do then someone else can enjoy them and it was a window a window tray that we had um, in the garden when we moved in and some flowers that we'd grown from seeds I mean it wasn't it was it was it, it wasn't um I didn't spend an awful lot of money on these window boxes so I thought if they go they go but they've never been stolen and we're slowly getting more down the road which I'm really pleased about so yes it's just tiny space but we we love it very much thanks Louise can I just ask one more question about you you built such a beautiful picture of your garden and your and your house can you just tell us how old your boys are yes of course they're seven and four but soon to be five tomorrow actually so seven and five okay well happy birthday for tomorrow <laughs> Kat I was just going to say Louise that I've just 
found listening to you and Arthur actually wonderfully reassuring and inspiring. You know, my garden, we live in a semi and my boys are seven and ten. And my garden has patches where I really try and give it some love, you know, and I really love being out there. And that first lockdown we experienced, I really connected to what you're describing, Louise, about going outside and actually making contact with what was happening in the space. And we we planted some bulbs and things like that. We planted some herbs as well. Um, my younger boy grew a chili plant from scratch over a year in that time. But since uh, we've gone back into a more, you know, normal rhythm, if I could put it like that, where we, you know, I'm back at work full time all the time um, and having all the more normal demands, I've completely lost contact with this, actually. I was feeling really emotional as you were talking. It's just like, oh, no, I'm missing out. There's this thing that I was doing. And actually, we were really enjoying that as a family. And um, it's really nice to hear that actually it doesn't have to be fantastic. It doesn't have to be an enormous project. Sometimes I'm concerned that I think, well, if I'm not going to do it properly, then there's not much point starting, is there? If you're not going to do it well, you know, that whole philosophy. But actually this kind of seedling analogy that both you and Arthur have talked about, where you just sort of start. And and here I'm using the seed as a metaphor. So you're kind of going, okay, fine, let's just do it. I'm putting it in. The soil's going on. Let's see what happens. Um, Rather than thinking, well, I have to have all my knowledge mapped out. And in my case, I look at my garden and think I must have a plan. I must have a goal. Uh, I must have an idea of how it's going to work. And I was just thinking about how your borders have slowly inched out, you know, making more space, but not necessarily through the force of your goal setting, but just through that much more gentle and organic process of planting and seeing what's happening. And then they get a bit bigger. It was just very moving and actually made it seem wonderfully accessible again. And I realised I've made a boundary in my mind of going, well, if you can't do it properly, then forget it. And I'm listening to you and realising this is complete nonsense. And um, and by keeping that attitude going, I'm, I'm kind of denying that joy that I found with the family back then. So thank you for how you've described that. Um, I wonder, Louise, did you want to respond? Because I know I could see you nodding while I was talking. Um, I don't, just wanted to say I'm I'm so yeah pleased that this has been a really it's been a positive conversation for you for you in your garden. Um, yeah, and I must admit, honestly, um, I've I've had the same battles with um, working, especially working sort of like with um, my neighbours and working in the garden, and then going back to work full time. Our garden at the moment. Um, everything needs doing I mean the algae is coming back on the white on the walls everything needs is doing all of the stems from the bulbs from the the summer um sort of like are over now trying I'm using that as an excuse is that they're going to protect them from growing up and you know they're, they're like mulch now so that's actually good for the garden so it's um yeah there's there's times of the year when things are coming to life and they're full of vibrancy and it's amazing um and there are other times when it just looks like somewhere you're just thinking oh my goodness me and I can't even look out of the window but it's I'm going to go out today with the inspiration of this conversation I'm going to go out today with the boys and I'm going to start tackling some of it and reigniting my own momentum back in the garden because spring is coming and hopefully the the bulbs will come up which is another reason why I plant bulbs is because you don't have to do anything and they come back every year without well unless you've got loads of squirrels they come back every year and it's job done because it has to be as low maintenance as possible Thank you both. I saw also Arthur wanted to come come in and respond to Kat's comments. Okay, there are two things. I mean, and firstly, the kind of co- connectivity bit. Uh, and I'm just remi- I just remembered that um, my um, 
my cousin's son, so my first cousin once removed, has um, is not very well, and he retired early, and he started um, he started about about COVID time to do a, his garden, and it was um, uh, like I think you were describing. I mean, I'm quite fortunate we've got a, a, a an established garden. It's quite big, but. Um, but, but his garden was a suburban garden, a new build with a square of, of lawn. And, and um, what, what I noticed was he got really enthusiastic. And it's someone I, I, I know, but I, you know, I'm his cousin's, his, mom, his grandma, no, his mum's cousin. So, you know, it, it, and we lived, we've always lived far apart. So, and he started to phone me up and said, oh, you know about this, Arthur, this stuff. And he phoned me up about what sort of greenhouse should I get? And, um, and then we, uh, he's got an allotment as well. So he sends me a video walking around the allotment and saying, this is what I'm doing. And then I counter that, not, not in a sort of, that sounds terrible, sort of an aggressive way, but in a way sort of say, he has got a very, uh, he has got a plan. So he has long rows of onions and he has uh, eight pots of a particular sort of chili and so on. Whereas I show him pictures of bees and I wander around my garden. So I think that's a leak I put in and here is a nice insect that's sitting on it, that, that kind of idea. And, and yet normally, I suppose not normally, but, but in part of my mind, it, that would be someone, well, I, I, I don't think I ought to talk to you really much because you've got one way of looking at it and I've got another way. And we, you know, it's like sporting a different football team. But actually what's happened because of COVID and we communicate via the mobile phone and um, send us pictures, each other pictures, is that he is becoming a little softer about his rows. He's being a bit more careful with pollinators and things. And I actually get, I get quite a kick out of showing them that my parsnips were in a straight line this year. You know, so that almost by default, we're like this connectedness. I think you know, it is a really important process of being connected to other people and it has given me because it's my extended family so he now knows a bit more about my family and I know a bit more about his and and so on and so forth so that was um uh, that was one thing and I, and I suppose the other thing is to to think about um I almost did some of this by proxy because the one of the neighbors is really keen and he's been over the, the uh, tub, uh, you know two or three times a week in the summer taking photos and um and I felt that I could vicariously benefit from his activity. So I've got a link to him and it's fine. And then now it's swapped because he's a bit older and a bit less able to do the physical work. And I've been over doing the physical work and he's been enjoying me sending pictures about what I'm doing. And now he's going over because the flowers are exposed and he can be, begin to see what insects are attracted by the celandines. So it's this kind of, I haven't got a plan. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm quite happy with the way you do your bit, but just listen to mine as well, and I'll listen to yours, and we'll both learn about it. And it feels really lovely, and on both a neighbourly, but also on a family point of view, sort of like an extended link. Thanks, Arthur. Louise. Yeah, thank you. I think that's um, that's a, another really positive thing about um, nature and gardening, and being involved and getting to know different people and different people's personalities. Um, so I know that with I've got a very sort of flexible view with um, how things are outside and in the garden. Um, but I've got 
a picture in my head of how I'd love things to be. Um, and my husband's over the last, especially over lockdown, over the last sort of like couple of years, has got really strongly into growing um, chilies. And Kat, you reminded me with your son growing chili plants. I mean, all of our windowsills inside the house are full of chili plants now. Um, so the, the outside is a little bit more um, where I tend to just be able to get creative but inside the house it's just full of chilies so um he has absolutely loved doing that and it's just about that as you were saying Arthur about having different um different ways of doing things and different perspectives on whether you've got a plan or not got a plan and, and different ways of viewing that connection with nature and the outside and everybody can do something in whichever way that they want to do it and you can there's still ways to have fantastic conversations about it and be able to encourage people and support their way of doing things um, and it's just it's just it's so full of vibrancy it's, it's nice to be involved in it thanks Louise we all have different one words in our heads listening to this conversation and I think the word organic appeared in mind because it's organic in terms of nature and gardening but organic in terms of learning and development and organic in terms of relationships and, and growth and connectivity and I it, Talking about organic, there's also organic wind haha, um, that uh, is rustling in, in the background of uh, Louise's house because we're experiencing a bit of stormy weather today. Uh, so if you're wondering what that rich little rustle um, is, uh, nature is coming in on the conversation. Unfortunately, we are now at the final minutes of this talk. Um, before I give my formal thanks and closing comments for this, I'm sure Sam wants to wrap us up with some further commentary sam sam would love to wrap things up with more commentary obviously um <laughs> yeah i i genuinely i think i might be saying that this series seems to be doing this to me a lot recently now, this is another conversation i don't want to end um i'm really you know just enjoying exploring this this whole idea of the role nature plays in our negotiation of relationships and you know, our own kind of well-being and that's all coming through and i think you know the listeners will be able to hear that in in the very kind of uh, rich and articulate way that arthur and louise have been able to to describe their journeys and their experiences but um i'm going to uh, <laughs> it's arthur's fault because he's mentioned heidegger so i'm gonna <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm gonna channel my inner heidegger here and say well, actually what what i think we've been talking about here and i actually think what we've been talking about largely through the podcast as a as a as a, as a thing as a as a, a way of negotiating the, the, the times that we're in is this idea of daisying you know the being in the world you know and it's finding a way of being in the world and there's no one way of doing that we, we're talking about a similar phenomenon arthur in terms of you know gardening the act of gardening or being in nature but actually the experiences that you're having while similar are very different and you know, negotiating ways of being in the world through reconnection, restoration, nurturing, all of these different kinds of acts of compassion and kindness uh, are really, really coming to the fore. And I think it's, it, it, it will resonate with many, you know, the, the reconnection with nature that we've had through the last kind of two years. And, you know, um, my, my experience is, is very similar to, to Louise's in the sense that we, we live 400 yards away from we we live in a place called pelton fell and you know as the name would suggest we're on a hill and everything else but we you know there's a woodland just that i'm pointing now just there uh and we we'd had no real kind of push to go and explore 
until lockdown. It was like, well, God, that's our walk. As Louise said, that was our walk. Turns out the place is absolutely massive to the point where my son and I got lost one day and he was panicking because he didn't think we were going to make it home. That's how big the place is. We saw deer and we saw pheasants and this and it and it's exactly that it's the reconnection and it's the you know the 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 and, and the being in the world and i think that's that's what i'm what i've i've loved hearing most about your experiences and the different ways of being and the role that nature's played so this the whole idea of you know nature appreciation and the different ways that that can play a role in our lives our own well-being and the well-being of others has been really really interesting to hear about so thank you for sharing Thanks, Sam. So thank you to our guests, Louise Mayo and Arthur Thurner. And thank you to our regular contributors, Kat Branch and Sam Elkington. Thank you, everybody, for a fascinating conversation. Thanks also go out to our wider podcast team, Julia Denman and Helke Ganosh-Dodri. And goodbye, everyone. Until next time, when we continue to talk about leisure, work and well-being, and what we can all do to engage with leisure seriously. Please like, subscribe. We have many more wonderful episodes and guests lined up for you in the coming months. Goodbye.